guess I'll say it again. Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. And if you need a Bible, there's some behind the pew in the uh, little shelf there. If there is one, he can get one. It's Hebrews chapter 6. So we'll go ahead and start reading in verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing will or surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So uh, right here in the scripture, uh, the first verse we read says, for when God made promise to Abraham. And so uh, I think a lot of us know who Abraham is. He uh, is the, the great man of faith, you know, the father, basically. You know the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Yeah, that's, what, that's who we're talking about right here. So um, Abraham, for those of you that maybe aren't real familiar with him, Abraham was... Uh, the man that lived in a place, Ur, he lived in Ur, and God called him out. God said, I want you to leave. Abraham, leave. He didn't tell him where he was going. He didn't tell him where he'd end up. He didn't tell him much at all. But Abraham heard, well, his name was Abram then, but Abraham heard his voice, God's voice, and he did what God said. God said to leave. So without knowing anything, he packed up his wife. He had no children, but he packed up his wife and everything that he had, and his nephew Lot went with him, and they left. And they started going. And they lived in faith of how God would guide them and what God would do for them. And God made this promise, and we'll read that real quick. Uh, the next verse says, Surely blessing will I, will I do that every time. Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. God promised Abraham that he would make him a great nation. And uh, he told him to look at the stars, and he said his descendants would be more. If he could number the stars, that's how and you, you like can't. If he could number the stars, he could number his descendants. So he, was, he told Abraham, I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to make a nation out of you. You are like the chosen one that I'm going to use. And so um, that was a little interesting for Abraham because if you know, he didn't have any children. And his wife was barren. And they were a little old. And so when God uh, told him that, he was old and he was like, oh, okay, you know. But Abraham listened to that promise. He walked in that promise. Um, and so what I want to focus on first, I just wanted to give you a little background for Abraham there in case you weren't familiar with him. Uh, uh, he, God does make the nation of Israel from Abraham by calling him out. 
So, uh, but that next part in verse 13 says, we'll just start from the top. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. And I just wanted to dwell on that for a minute. Because um, whenever we, like if you were going to buy a car from somebody, and you were going to give them the money, and then they were like, okay, well, uh, let us just, we want to fix this little part in it, so give me the money, and then I'm going to, and then I'll give you the car tomorrow. And so uh, you're like, okay, so uh, where do I sign? And they're like, oh, no, a handshake will do. Would you want to trust that person? Because basically what they're saying is that they're good for their word. And what they're saying is is that my word is good enough and we don't need anything else binding. This is all that we need. You wouldn't want to follow through with that. You would be like, "Uh, no, I want a contract that I sign, that you sign saying you will give me this card tomorrow so that I can take this to a higher power if things fall through, right? Because if you just do a handshake and you try to hold that up in a court, if he does something and you really want to, I mean, you lost all your money for, for that car if they don't follow through. You're going to want something that you can take it to somebody that has more power that can say, hey, guy, <laughs> you give that car to them or you give them their money back, right? You're going to want that to happen. And so that's what men do whenever, whenever we make an agreement we, we, we sign a contract or we, we, we make something to where it can hold up and be brought before a higher power than us so that we can uh, get what is rightfully ours or, or happen the way that it's supposed to happen. You get it? Get where I'm coming from? That's what we do. We want to be able to take it to somebody that has more power so that it can be. The judge holds authority. So since the judge is the higher power, whenever we sign a contract, we're basically swearing by the power of our law, the power of our law here, so that they can, we can take it to the judge if need be. But this scripture says, because God could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. So since God is the highest and ultimate authority, he swore by himself, saying that I am the one who has all the power, so I will just swear by myself. Because if which this wouldn't happen, but if things were to fall through with God, you know, you wouldn't be able to take it to anybody higher because there is nobody higher. He is the ultimate authority. He has all the power. And so he just basically said, you know what? I swear by myself that this is what I'm going to do for you. And uh, so that is such an amazing and powerful thing that we serve the one who has to swear by himself because there is no other power above him. None. Just think about that. The one that we serve and the one we call Father has the ultimate authority in every situation of our lives. The one that's our friend, the one who saved us, he is the one that can only swear by himself. He has that authority. He has that power. And so that's what he's saying here to Abraham. And that is just an awesome thing if we could just get a hold of that. Uh... So he goes on to make that promise to Abraham that we read. And then verse 15 says, And so after he, which is Abraham, had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now that's such a short verse. If you look at it in your Bible, it's like two lines long. And so you could probably kind of, if you weren't real familiar with Abraham's story, 
you could probably just kind of skip over that and be like, okay, he had patiently endured, or he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. All right, moving on. You could kind of just be like, oh, okay, so he endured the promise. He endured that patiently for maybe oh, a couple weeks. Maybe he endured that for a month or two, maybe a year. And then he got the promise. That's great. But no, Abraham endured for years, waiting and looking for and holding on to the promise that God had given him. He had years of stumbles and failures. Because if we remember Abraham's story, we also know that he tried to rush God's plan by having a child with Hagar, uh, Sarah's handmaid. And so he, he had, he, he lied about Sarah being his wife and saying she was his sister like twice. Wasn't it twice? <laughs> twice. <laughs> so he had many stumbles and failures and things that he went through, but he was still continuing to look for that promise because he also had great victories and he experienced glory, the glory of God through these things. But as he lived, as he went on, he, he searched for that promise. He held on to that promise that God had given him, given him. He didn't give up. Abraham didn't just hear that promise and then just say, oh, that sounds nice. Great idea, God. And it'll come when it comes. And then he kind of just went with the flow of his life. And he kind of just didn't really take much more thought of it, just thinking, well, it'll happen eventually. No, he kept that like at the forefront of his mind, you know, kind of like, I don't know, something that you're looking forward to. Like with the, for us, it's with this, the, the fall festival. It was at the forefront of our mind. We were thinking about it. We were looking forward to it. We were planning it. We were, we were buying the stuff for it. We were setting up the stuff. We were making things for it. You know, for weeks, we were anticipating the promise that the fall festival is going to happen last night at 5 o'clock. We were holding on to that. And that's what Abraham was doing with this promise that God had given him. He was keeping it at the forefront of his mind. You know what? Every decision I make, I want it to line up with what God has promised me. I don't want to do something that's going to not, uh, that's going to mess up God's plans. I want to be able to keep this at the forefront of my mind so that I'm continuing that. Now, that doesn't mean he did everything perfectly because like we just talked about, he messed up a few times. Just like with the fall festival. I mean, the crazy game didn't have bean bags in it. We could have opened that box the moment we got it and like, oh yeah, and tried to remedy that situation. Or even maybe some other things we could have done differently. There was other mishaps. But we still were able to continue on, even with the stumbles, even with the failures. We were able to continue Continue on, and God was able to use it for His glory. We were able to follow through with what we what we had had come to look forward to and to promise that we would have that event. And that's the same with Abraham. He was able to continue on even through the failures, even through the mess ups. He was able to continue on and press towards that promise, even though he may have messed up. God was like, "No, the promise is still there. It doesn't matter that you messed up. It doesn't matter that you lied or that you did or that you had the child with Hagar. My promise is sure. I." swore by myself I would do that. And as long as you continue to look for that promise and to endure, then you will receive what I have promised. So um, he was following after God and the promise that he had given him. So just the same that God swore by himself to Abraham, he has done the same for us through salvation. When he offers salvation, the authority that he has saved us is the same. 
He has sworn by himself that if you would confess Christ with your mouth and that you would believe that he has risen again from the dead and that you believe that he has the power to save you, then you will be saved. He is basically swearing by himself saying, that is my promise to you. If you will do that, if you will continue and you will endure, you will receive the promise of salvation and enter into heaven with him. Um, and, but we must, just like Abraham, though, we must keep that at the forefront of our minds. We can't, we can't just be like, okay, I'm going to say this little prayer, and then, God, you're going to be with me, and I'm just going to go ahead and go with the flow of the world, and I'm going to not think about that ever again. It doesn't work that way. We must keep that at the forefront of our minds so that we're actively enduring so that we may receive that promise. We may patiently endure so that we can receive that promise. I'm following after the promise he has given me. That promise is with us and we follow after Jesus. We must keep that with us and know that. Um, So then verse 16 says, For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. And so that's what we talked about before. The Having that contract means there's an end of strife. We're not going to just fight about this because you signed it. This holds you accountable. This ends the strife. Okay, so verse 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of his promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. So it is impossible for God to lie. We know that. We know there's things that God can't do. God is all-powerful, but he can't lie. That's not... It's like, it's like just as uh, the fall of man is in our veins, we, 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 uh, we are basically born with that will to sin. We, we, that's what we want. That's what we want to do. That's in our... In our uh, uh, in our DNA, whatever. It's in us to want to do that. Just as that's in us, God does not have it in his, he doesn't have DNA, but it's not in his DNA to sin. It's not there. He will never do anything wrong because he can't. Because it's not in his character. It's not inside of him. He won't sin because he can't sin and he won't sin. That's just the way it is. I love that song, You Are God Alone. And uh, I, wish, I wish I could sing it for you, but I can't. Maybe we'll play it. But he, he's the God of all creation. He is God alone. He, he's unchangeable. He, he, he won't be changed, and he can't be changed because that is who he, who he is. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. We can't change God, and he, he can't change because that is who he is. And that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because we live in a life of constant change. Things are always changing. You know, you guys are growing, you're, you're, you're going into new things, even if you're, you've just become a teenager or if you're about to get out of high school. You're, you're, you're going through so many changes, things that are happening. And so it's so hard for us to understand uh, a God that doesn't change because it's just a part of our lives. But that is how he is, and that's the way it is. So looking at verse 18, it says, um, We might have a strong consolation. Now, consolation here means exhortation, admonition, encouragement, comfort, solace, 
that affords comfort or refreshment. So we have a strong consolation. We have encouragement and an exhortation from God. Uh, then it says, those who have fled, or it says, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. We, as we come to Christ, we have fled for refuge to him. Because Christ offers something that we can't find in this world. And Colt talked about that last night. And everybody that is here today was here last night. That's like... Never happened at an event. That is awesome. But like, like Colt talked about last night, he, he was looking for something that he couldn't find. And the only place he found it was in Christ. So we have fled for refuge to Christ. He has given us that consolation that we couldn't find at school, that we couldn't find in, in maybe more education. We couldn't find in fulfillment of a career. We couldn't find it in fulfillment of a relationship, a human relationship, such as a best friend or, or a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. We can't find it. We can only find this strong consolation in Christ. We can only find that assur- uh, assurance and, and that blessed comfort in Christ and it is a strong consolation so we have fled for refuge to lay hold upon that hope upon that hope of salvation that he has set before us he sets it before us we just have to pick it up and lay hold on it and then uh verse 19 says which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast and which entereth into that within the veil So hope is the anchor of our soul. This hope, our salvation, Jesus is the anchor of our soul. There is no other name whereby we can be saved. It is by his name, and that is our anchor. And so the anchor is very important on a ship. An anchor is a device normally made of metal used to connect a vessel to the bed of a body of water to prevent the craft from drifting due to wind or current. Because I don't know about you guys, but if I try to hold on to God with my hands, I can't do it. I can't hold on to him. I can't touch him. I can't do that on my own. I'm wicked. I'm, I, I'm messy. I, I make mistakes. I, I, I walk away from a conversation and I'm like, oh, what did I just say? How stupid of me. That could have hurt their feelings or caused problems. You know, I hope that everything's fine. But I'm, I'm, I'm human and I hope you guys never think that I have some kind of perfect thing and that I should be able to minister to you guys perfectly and without mistakes because I'm not perfect and, and, and I'm, I, I'm a messy person and I make mistakes and I don't do things perfectly. So if I try to touch God and hold on to him, I can't do it. I'm not going to be able to be connected to God. I need an anchor. I need Jesus because it's only through Jesus that I can be connected to God. Jesus is connected to God and I grab onto his hand and that is how I remain connected to God. He is the anchor of my soul. He is the one that's going to reach and connect me to God. Jesus is the one that keeps us from drifting from God. Whenever the winds pick up and we have tragedy or grief or, or something happen in our lives, then Christ is what holds us steady. Christ is what holds us to God. Whenever there's current going on, whenever the, the, the enemy is attacking and the waves are just crashing against our vessel, the world is just heavy upon us, Christ is what keeps us connected to God. He is our anchor of our soul. He is the one that is going to help us remain sure and steadfast. Um, so, 
He is the one that was able, it says right here at the end of that verse, and which entereth into that within the veil. Now in the uh, temple in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament before Jesus died on the cross, which they, they may still have it, but they always had a priest go into the holiest place of the temple. And that was covered with a thick, heavy veil because only the priest could go in there. It was like dead serious. They, uh, they would tie a rope around his ankle just in case God struck him dead because he had sin in his life that he didn't get rid of before he went in there. It was that important. It was that serious. And so what Christ did, and you, you, you probably know this, but when he died on the cross, the veil was rent. If you remember that in scripture, that is the veil they're talking about. Whenever Christ died, he rose again, that veil was torn, and now we have the opportunity to go into that holiest of place. Not just some high priest that is some kind of holy man, but we are allowed to because of what Christ did. We can enter into the holy of holies. We can touch God because Christ did that for us. He made the way. And this is like, can you imagine the opportunity? Can you imagine a, a, like a small Hebrew boy or something that goes to the temple and kids are and people even are always fascinated with what they're not allowed to do. So you can imagine him being like, oh man, I wish I could go in there. You know, I wish I could go in there where the holy, the holy of holies is, where it's the holiest place. I would like to see it. We have that opportunity. We can go into the holiest place and we can commune with our God that is so holy that we, are not, we should not even be allowed to come near him. But Christ made a way for us to do that. We have a privilege that many never had the opportunity to have. When we are beckoned to the Lord and are able to commune with him, it is a wonderful, precious gift. We are able to commune with the holiest being there is, the most powerful, the most holy, the most righteous, the most uh, awesome being there is. We can come in and worship him. That is an amazing thought. Why would we ever pass up the opportunity to worship him or to get to know him when we have this great hope and promise that he has set before us. Now the final verse says, Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So it says here that Jesus is a priest forever. And so this is uh, where I will, I will be about done. Uh, Jesus will forever be there. You know, he is our promise. He is the hope set before us, and he will forever be there. The salvation he has offered you, the salvation that you have taken up, it's always going to be there. You know, you may stumble like Abraham did. You may fall short, but it's not like just because you stumble, Jesus has moved. He hasn't moved. He's going to stay there, and he's going to remain constant. He will be there forever for you, no matter what you face, no matter what you go through. He is going to be there forever, being there as your anchor. Ah. Uh, he, we don't, and also I think sometimes it can be easy to think, well, God cares about the lost because we always stress that. He cares about the lost souls, and he does. He, he wants them to come to him. But just because we are saved doesn't mean he no longer loves us. He still will do everything for us. He will do every bit as much for us as he will a lost soul. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you've, you're, put back on, you're put on the bookshelf and he never gets you down to help you out. No, he is there for you, and he loves you forever. Did you have something? I thought you may have something. <clears throat> um, 
when she was talking about uh, how God swear by himself. If in Genesis chapter 15, it's uh, Abraham. Actually, at this time, it's Abram. But God comes to him at night and comes to him in a vision or a dream. I'm not real sure how exactly uh, some people interpret it differently. But uh, comes to Abraham and tells him to take uh, a heifer and he's making a sacrifice, or he's making a covenant in a sense. He, uh, in the Old Testament, the way they would do covenants is they would bring some animals and then they would split them in half and they would pass through and that was, that was kind of their deal. Everybody, each one of them offered something valuable and uh, sacrificed that and then the ritual of it. Anyway, so uh, God is having Abraham prepare this to perform a covenant. But instead of Abraham being a part of that with God, Abraham, God causes Abraham to fall into a deep sleep. And he sees this vision of a burning furnace. Make sure I say that right. A smoking furnace and a burning lamp are passing between the pieces. So you got an image of, uh, I would really like to dig into it more specifically of what the, uh, the uh, furnace and the lamp represents. But I'm going to just kind of take a broad uh, general view of it. But a burning furnace of uh, the Spirit of God and a and a or a, a smoking furnace as a spirit of God and a burning lamp, the light of this world going kind of generic. So Christ, so God's making a covenant with himself. And he's saying, because God said he swore by no, he has nobody else greater than him to swear by. So he swears by himself. And right here, God is making a covenant, promising Abraham that he would perform what he said he was going to perform, was going to make a nation out of him, was going to, uh, do all that he promised Abraham to do, and he was making that covenant with himself, meaning that Abraham had no part in the covenant. It was not up to Abraham to be a good Abraham. Mm -hmm. It was not up to Abraham to do certain things. It was up to Abraham to simply trust God to perform it, because yeah. that covenant was with himself. And then we see that mirrored uh, being fulfilled in the New Testament when Christ came. Whenever he saves us, he's fulfilling that covenant that he even made with Abraham. He was saying that I made this covenant with myself that I will perform all that I said I will perform. <clears throat> and through Christ, we simply trust Christ to perform in us what he said he will perform. So it's a covenant with himself. It's not that God promised... Uh, when God promised us salvation through Christ, He wasn't saying, okay, now you believe in Jesus, do all these good things. No, God made that covenant with Himself, saying, through Christ, I will perform the promise that I had promised you. He promised you salvation. He's going to perform it with Himself, mm -hmm. through Himself. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with what you and I achieve. It has nothing to do with what how good we are, or how terrible we are. It has everything to do with that promise that He yes. made with Himself. And it's simple faith and trust that He will perform what He promised. He promised that we will be conformed to the image of Christ. Mm. We will become the image of Christ if we trust Him to perform yes. that. Right? Yes. He will work that in us. We will one day 
be saved from the uh, from this world of sin and death and be renewed in glory with him forever that was his promise that will be performed by Christ in us not anything we do mm. so when god made a covenant with himself he was saying there's nothing else abraham there's nothing you can do to perform this there's nothing you can do to mess this up I will do this because I promised myself I will do it. Yeah. I will perform it in myself, is what God was saying. So, anyway, that being said, that's all I got. going to play the song I talked about and uh, just worshiping. Pray. Okay.